you would get up your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 3. Before we get into one verse that I want to talk uh, our entire time about, I want to uh, just say a couple of things to you. First of all, um, I know we have a couple of guests here, and so I'm thankful that you've chosen to join us. And uh, our church is celebrating the marriage of Toby uh, Stevens and Kelly Ryan, now Stevens. And uh, so we have several here as guests as a result of that. And so uh, if you're a guest and maybe you know, don't know Toby and Kelly, it's okay. Uh, we're glad you're here too. There are a lot of exciting things going on in the life of our church. One of the things that our church has chosen to do is, is, is start what's called a church planting residency. We call it church planter prep for guys that are thinking about ministry and want to be in the preaching ministry. And they might even plant churches or be campus pastors of churches. You might have heard about this from time to time. We've got a couple of guys in the program right now, Jonathan Morrison and John Weddington. Last week, John Weddington, who I call Jada because we've got so many people named John, I get confused. Uh, Jada preached and did an incredible job. And uh, I just want to make you aware of the fact that we as a church really uh, feel it's an honor to train men for gospel ministry, the pastor. And so we are really actively doing this. We want to give them at-bats in our most important venues to preach God's Word. And we train them every single week on preaching. We actually uh, require one of them to preach a 20-minute sermon every Tuesday morning. It's a real treat. Some of the people from the church come and participate in that. You're welcome to if you're available Tuesday morning at 8.30. But uh, I want you to know that we as a church are going to continue to do this. We're going to continue to, to, and to, to ask God to stir up within our church uh, a calling to ministry among the men and women of our church. And whenever we find out that people feel called to ministry, we're going to give them every opportunity and every tool that we have to help them be what God wants them to be in the ministry. And so I say that a little bit of a precursor to let you know that the next two Sundays, each of our church planning residents are going to be preaching. So they're going to continue in Philippians. And so next Sunday, Jonathan Morrison is going to be preaching. And then the 29th, uh, John Wellington, J-Dub, is going to be preaching again. And so uh, I want to encourage you to come and to, <coughs> me, to bring people that, that uh, you're continuing to minister to, to, to hear God's word preached by these men of God. I, I fully believe in these men, and I have no reservation about putting them before you, open God's word with you. And so that's the first thing. That as we enter and go through July and enter into August, um, I've taken a step back a little bit, to be honest. I've um, kind of taken a step back from the, the day-to-day uh, activities of the church to refocus, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just a few minutes. But uh, we look into August, we also look into September. One of the things that we're doing is we're looking carefully at our small group system, which we call NT Groups. And what I've done is I've asked David Walker, and I think David's in here somewhere. Uh, David's right there. Uh, I've asked David to lead a team of people to evaluate what we do in the area of small groups right now, and then also to make some proposals that uh, we as a pastoral team can consider for what we're going to do in August and September. We have some good things going on in the area of small groups, but I think we could also improve. So if you're interested, and you can be a visitor even, if you're interested in being a part of the conversation, what we do during the week to connect to others in our church, then I would love, excuse me, I would love for you to let us know. And the way you do that is on your card, write your name and on the bottom, but I am interested in being part of the small group conversation. And we would, we would want your input and your insight in helping us 
develop some proposals so we can make sure we're ministering to one another in the way that God wants us to in this area. And so smart is very important for us at the church. So that's just a couple of things I want to make you aware of. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, we're going to open God's Word. God, I love you, and um, I'm just thankful for J.D.'s leadership this morning. I believe that um, today is a special kind of a day. I believe that your spirit, God, this morning wants to work. And God, every one of us um, come out of day-to-day environments where there is much pressure to be perfect and to, to never show weakness or struggle. God, I just, just want to say that in this moment that our weakness, our struggle points to our need for Jesus. And thank you, God, for the gospel. It is Christ. I love you. And I pray, God, that you'd be honored as I, <coughs> excuse me, as I share and um, I pray that, God, you would just have your way. There are some guests here today. I pray, God, that they would see Jesus more clearly based on how we talk about the Lord and how I share it. I pray, God, that the people that have followed Christ for a long time, God, would be stirred. I pray, God, that you would surprise us in this hour. Surprise us with your grace and your mercy. Now you just want to pour it on we love you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been walking through Philippians, and what we've learned in... <coughs> I've got a cough and something. I do that the whole time. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, uh, Paul uh, has offered his ministry resume. John uh, Jada taught us last week. He's offered his ministry resume, and his credentials according to Paul, <clears throat> were nothing compared to his desire to honor Christ with his life. And as we begin reading a little further into verse, particularly verse 13 of chapter 3, uh, something is there. And, and, and something happened to me this week that I will look back on for years to come and say, God, God worked in my heart this week in a really, really unique way. And frankly, I was sitting down to study for the sermon. As we've been out of town the last couple of weeks, each day I would get away to work during the day and in the evening come back together with my family. But um, I was studying this and I got to verse 13 of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians where it says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. we we'll read that, verse 14 again. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now it's remarkable to consider that Paul is using these words and he's exhorting those Philippians to press on because there are a lot of reasons that Paul might not have been able to press on. Remember, he's in prison. People are opposing him. Most of the people opposing him are, are religious people. He is getting older, probably a little more tired. He's had a fairly hard life. He's been, uh, been beaten multiple times. 
he is alone. He has no wife. All right, that oftentimes is a challenge for us. He's poor. He's suffered many professional and personal losses. And no doubt, because he's a human being, he battles his own temptations, right? Like everybody in this room, we have things that we're tempted by to sin. Now, not only are these potential, uh, do these create a potential for him to keep from pressing on, but you know, what also could keep him from pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upper column of Christ Jesus is a little ministry success. I mean, he is getting popular, right? He is successful in his business, which could keep him from pressing on. Maybe, just maybe, he didn't, wouldn't feel like he needed to press on for the upper call of Christ Jesus. Maybe he's pressing on for something else. So there are a lot of things in his life that might keep him from pressing on. Now, what this does for us is it should cause us to consider our own capacity to press on for the remainder of our lives. We should think carefully about whether or not we are going to be able to do what Paul has challenged the Philippians to do. Will you be able to press on? You know what most often keeps us from being able to press on for the goal, for the prize, for the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, press on for the right things is sin in our lives. Sin in our lives that we ignore or sin in our lives that we do not see. This week as I got to just this verse of study, the Holy Spirit, in a mysterious kind of a way, if you're new to the faith, it wasn't like I heard an audible voice, but it just just knew God was talking to me. He asked me this question. Will you press on? I was in a Starbucks in San Antonio, a place where I always go to study and work when we're there visiting my in-laws. And I sat there stunned. It was like there was no one else in that place. It was like God just pulled me up onto his lap and asked me, will you press on to understand why such a question would stir my heart in this way, I need to ask your permission to look beyond my exterior to my heart. Now, I don't know most of you all that well. We have a lot of new people here. But I, I, I stand before you wanting to just to do something a little different than, than just like what we do on Sunday and Sunday out, which is just grind on the scripture and try to expose the truth that's there. I want to let you look into my heart a little bit. You know, it is my heart, it's my hope that this church can be a place where every one of us feels the permission to be honest about their own lives. I don't, I don't want to pastor a church where you feel like being a spiritual leader requires you to be perfect. And frankly, that's a lie. There's no perfect spiritual leaders. We value leadership in this church that leads with a limp. And what I want to model in this church is, is a heart that says, you know what? I've messed up. I'm struggling. So I'm, I'm going to just kind of let you look at my heart a little bit. And um, please forgive me if um, in any way this is awkward for you, but it's just frankly who I am and who we're going to be as a church. 
You know, the past two months has been for me really difficult mentally and emotionally. I have had many sleepless nights. I've described it to some people as I've been awakened at night thinking God wants to talk to me, but knowing the enemy is attacking me. I've had a lot of anxiety, like tightness in my chest. I don't process stress in that way very often, but what I do is pretty severe. I've had thoughts of quitting, honestly. I'm just walking away from all of this. I've thought several times in the last few months, where else can I work? I've been unsure in those quiet moments whether or not I can press on. Now, it might surprise some of you to hear that, but that's true. Some of what has made it so difficult for me in the last few months is some intense disappointment that I felt. Some personal that not many people know about and some professional related to this church. I don't want to get into the specifics of those or those things, but what is important for you to know, I think, is that as your pastor, I felt despair. I've heard that this can happen to church planters. I never imagined how despair can come so strong and can suck the life out of you so, so powerfully. So I knew I needed some time away. I asked a few of our trusted um, leaders in the church, I said, do you think it would be okay if I just kind of got off the radar for a little while? And these people said, yes, please go, do whatever you need to do. And so I've spent some extended time away in prayer. And I've just asked God to reveal to me what's causing this, what causes the anxiety and the despair. What has the potential to keep me from pressing on in the call? And God did. Because in that coffee shop, which may sound strange for you that God would speak to a coffee shop, but I find that coffee shops are one of the most holy places on all the earth. Um, it's in that place that God revealed to me that I've made a huge mistake. I have sinned against God. You know what, and if it's not dealt with, this will make me unfit to be a pastor and unable to press on. I want to tell you what I've done and ask for your forgiveness, but before I do, I want to tell you what I have not done. I have not cheated on my wife I'm faithful to her. By God's grace, I have no hidden sexual sins. I do not look at pornography on the internet. These things that are rampant among pastors, by God's grace, I do not do those things. Jeannie and I have a great relationship that continues to grow stronger every single day. I have not cheated my kids. I spent a lot of time with them. They will not grow up resenting the church because I've chosen it over them, which is oftentimes the case for pastor's children. I take my kids on dates. 
I pray with them. I play with them. I know them personally and deeply. I have not stolen money from the church. I've handled the money to the best of my ability with honesty and integrity. I've been paid fairly for many hours of hard work. I have not preached a false gospel. Since the very first time I stood before you, I've preached the gospel found in the scripture, and that is that in Christ alone, there's forgiveness of sin and a new life of peace. I want to be very clear in what I've not done because my mistake is not what pastors typically do that require them to stand before their congregation and ask for forgiveness. My mistake is, in some ways, something much easier to hide. I didn't even realize it was there. It was slowly eroding the foundation of my spiritual walk with Christ. It required... What was required of me is that I slow down enough, get away from this thing that we're doing, and just ask God, God, what is what the well, you know what's going on? And God revealed it to me. What I have done is use you. I've used you to feed my ego, to fuel my pride. I've used you to prove to myself and to God that I'm capable as a leader, as a visionary, and I'm worthy to be a child of God. I have used you, church. My sense of self-worth is kind of so tangled up in this thing. And whether or not this church makes it, that my thinking has gotten all screwed up. I think about the church in a way that I do not want to because it's gotten so tangled with my own identity and emotion. I resent it when people don't come. I grow to hate those who leave. You know, I was told many times before I planted a church that I would have squeezed out of me darkness that I did not even know existed. Be honest, I had no idea how much pride, how much self-glory exists within me. And it's there. God's crushing it. You know, pride makes a person the object of worship. And it leaves them empty. Pride turns one's attention inward to find validation and self-worth. Pride is the root of all sins because it gives honor to something other than God. My own pride has led me to despair. It's led me to sleepless nights because I've exhausted myself trying to reach this imaginary standard where my self-worth is verified by my accomplishments, my success in business. You know, I've read the statistics. 85% of pastors do not minister more than 10 years because they burn out and die. There are a variety of reasons for that, but I imagine one that's so hard to identify is 
that their pride gets wrapped up in this thing and it ruins them. The inevitable result for me will be burnout. An inability to press on. That scares me, honestly. I don't want to be the guy that stands before you and fakes it every week. I recognize that pride is what motivates many people in their jobs, and frankly, the world values this kind of a person who's so proud and confident of themselves, is motivated by their own sense of accomplishment. But you know, when a pastor does this, it's destructive to the work of the Spirit in the lives of people. What I want to ask from you is for your forgiveness. I have in my heart, I've not loved you well. I have loved you mostly for my own gain, for my name. in some ways to prove to people that I wasn't a total idiot for leaving the church that I was preaching to a thousand people. I loved you for my own gain and only some for the glory of Christ. Just I mean, I, I have wanted Christ to be glorified, but what I've really realized is that I've gotten just my identity too tangled up in this thing, and so it's been for my own gain, and I, I'm just I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I did not know that my pride, my ego was there in that way. I repent of it. My pride has led me to despair and to consider quitting. Because people leave and I've taken it way too personal. Because growing is slow. And I thought it would grow faster. This has led to some unhealthy disappointment in me. Ask for your forgiveness, and um, I've already asked God for forgiveness. I've preached the gospel to myself this week, and I stand before you humble because God's kindness has led me to repentance, and I don't stand here condemned. I don't feel condemned, but in fact. In some way, my sin has revealed to me the beauty of Christ even more. You hear that? The darkness of our sin can reveal to us more vividly the beauty of the gospel and our need for Christ. Repentance is not just turning away from something that dishonors God, but it's a fresh turning toward Christ. And you know, as I turn toward Christ in my own heart, it, I mean, I've been following Christ, don't get me wrong, but as I've repented of this and, and been committed to Christ anew, I have had to ask myself this question. Are you still called to be the pastor of New Town Church? I mean, put this in perspective. This is something I've thought about, dreamt about, prayed about, 
cried about for years, and I have had to ask myself this question. Are you still called to pastor this church? Or do you need to walk away and let some other man lead these people spiritually? And I never questioned my call to ministry or God's heart for this city, but I have had to ask myself this question. And um, I want to be very clear. I know, I know, I know, I know God sent me to Jeannie and our four kids into the city to reach people with the gospel. It is hard as hell. But I know, I know, I know that there are lost people. Some of them are here today who've never truly met Jesus that God will use me and you and you and you and you and you to introduce them to Christ and the gospel and the beauty of Jesus in a way that they've never received. I know that I'm called. I'm 100% certain that this is my space on this planet where God has called me to harvest and to labor for the gospel. I know that, no doubt in the world. And we're going to stay. And I hope that you will feel the same. If, if not, then if you've got some other place to labor, to work in the harvest, please, actually, the next few weeks is a good time to go there. I mean, I, I don't want anybody to leave, but I won't, I won't be mad at you anymore. <laughs> um, I just, I'm, I feel called, definitely, no doubt about it. You know, Paul tells the Philippians to press on. And it's led me to repent of my sin and pride. I've allowed my identity to get so tangled up in the success of this thing. I didn't realize it was there. But it had the potential to ruin me. What does Paul's command to press on lead you to do? There's this, this theological idea in the Bible called having a contrite heart, which is a heart that regularly repents. And for whatever reason, sometimes we get in our mind that you have to reach this place of spiritual sanctification where you just choose what God wants you to choose for the rest of your life and things are okay. That never happens. It never happens. Our posture as followers of Christ is to regularly come face to face with the beauty of Jesus and our need for Him. And oftentimes that happens when we see our own sin, our own inclination to lust or to be proud or to, to, to make material things an idol. When we see the disgusting nature of that work, the worship of those things, it causes us to say, this is why Jesus came, because we cannot be perfect. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot press on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. If we ignore the sin in our lives. So what does Paul say? command to press on leads you to, to think about what could keep you from pressing on 
that sin. tempted to think about your own sin what the Holy Spirit convicting you of right now and you go, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. And it's screwed up. Instead, if the Holy Spirit is convicting of your sin, you ought to know that your sin keeps you from enjoying Christ fully. The person who suffers ultimately is you. Repent of it. Receive God's forgiveness and grace so that you can enjoy Jesus and what you never have before. This past Sunday when Jada was preaching, I attended another church. I listened to the sermon and the guy was preaching on repentance. At the time, I quite frankly did not feel conviction at all. I was with Somebody in my family who's got a bunch of junk in his life, and the entire time I'm thinking about, I hope he's listening to the sermon. You ever do that? I saw you right now. Oh, no, my husband or wife is listening to this. But so I was thinking my entire time, the entire time, man, I hope he's listening to this sermon. Oh, this I was like, this guy's good. I kept looking at Jim like this guy's got some game, man. And um, and and so as God began working in my heart in that worshipful place at Starbucks. Um, remember something that he said. He said, when we're confronted about our sin, we have two options. We can either bow down or bow up. You know bow up. But, come on, you, you can't tell me that what I'm doing is a sin. Come on, who are you? That's bowing up. That's kind of what we do to people sometimes when we're confronted by our sin or to God. Come on, God. Who do you think you are? Do you know how much money I have? You know, successful, I, you know, that, that's what we do. So the question is, if there's sin in your life, will you bow down or will you bow up? I love you all very much. And um, I consider it a, a privilege to be your pastor. And, um, and I'm surprised regularly that God would call me to do this. And I want you to know this is a place where you don't have to be perfect to lead spiritually. <laughs> In the end, what I pray to God is that whenever we open His Word and God speaks to our hearts, that we'll respond in faith. For some of you, that means for the very first time, repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not asking you that you go to church as a child or or did you, were you baptized as a child? And oftentimes, um, we do those things as children and we don't even realize what the world's going on. What I'm asking you is, like, in this moment, have you ever genuinely repented of your sin, acknowledging that your sin separates you from God and place your faith in Jesus because Jesus did something you cannot do for yourself. Live a perfect life and pay for your sin. You've never done that, and you're not a child of God, and today would be a wonderful day to do that. Have your sin forgiven, become a child of God. For the rest of you, those of you that are here and truly do follow Christ, is there an area in your life where you just feel God working on right now? 
What makes it all possible is the cross and the shed blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus. And each week, we as a church take the Lord's Supper, where we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and the juice representing the shed blood of Jesus, and we eat it and consume it. And it's a symbolic act where we proclaim, we confess publicly and to God that we believe our sin has been forgiven because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we're about to do that. Would you die